You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Robert Shear. His new book is The Pornography of Power. We're speaking at the Capitola Book Cafe. Thank you for joining me, Robert. Always a pleasure to be with you. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, this uh, bailout with that uh, Paulson is heading. You have some pertinent data here about who paid him how much before he was the Secretary of the Treasury. Well, you know, it's this real scandal here is that we knew this was coming because the, the laws had to be changed. Otherwise, these guys would be in jail. And in uh, 1999, largely through, due to Phil Graham, who was head of the Senate Banking Committee, but uh, Robert Rubin, who had gotten to the Treasury Department in the Clinton administration from Goldman Sachs, uh, was a big supporter of it. Cause the, uh, and then when he left the government, he went to work for Citibank, which was a big beneficiary from that legislation. And what it did was it reversed the main um, lesson, the main legal uh, lesson we'd learned from the Great Depression, which is don't let banks uh, and, and investment banks, commercial banks, stockbrokers, and insurance companies merge. Separate them. And then you'll have more transparency. You'll have more accountability. You'll be able to regulate them. That was the main thing. And that was reversed. And it was reversed uh, not as an act of God, but as an act of lobbying. You know, $300 million was spent in that one year, and they've been lobbying it for, for decades. And uh, while it was Republican-led, most Democrats went along. In fact, the vote was so big, it was even veto-proof if, if Clinton had wanted to veto it. But he didn't veto it. And there was some opposition because it, it ta- ta- destroyed our privacy rights because these entities all had records on us. Insurance companies have your medical records, you know, uh, everything else. Uh, the, the banks have records on your loans and your employment history, your credit history and everything else. And they merged all that and they did it deliberately so they could do what they call data mining. And they also were allowed to then develop all these new products, you know, what are called hybrid investment products, credit swaps and all this other stuff. And once that those walls were torn down, then you came in with another act a year later, uh, six hours before the Christmas recess. It was agreed that uh, Graham's other wish on behalf of the banking industry, uh, which was said that all of these new financial instruments that were developed now because they could all merge, would not be subject to any of the existing regulation. And so that's why this mess that people say we have these toxic assets, we don't know what's in them, we don't know how much they're worth, how can you bail them out, you're buying junk, you don't know what you're buying. Uh, That was all by design uh, because they were deliberately exempted from regulation. And the bookend of this is that first you had uh, one uh, honcho from Goldman Sachs, Robert Rubin, going in there in the Clinton administration, and now you have uh, Henry Paulson, uh, who until recently was the leader of Goldman Sachs as the Secretary of Treasury. I'm just amazed that these guys don't cover their tracks any better or that the public isn't more outraged. How do you let these these thieves, and you know whether they're technically thieves or not, they're, they're moral thieves, and there would be thieves if they hadn't changed the law so that they aren't 
what they do is not judge the crime. And these guys uh, make, you have the figure in front of you, was it 14.6 million he made? 16.4 million. 16.4, I'm underestimating it, you know. I have to check that figure every time I use it, you know. 16.4 million, the guy got paid his last year at Goldman Sachs before becoming Secretary of Treasury in the Bush administration, and we're trusting this guy. And the guy says, you have to trust me completely. You can't monitor what I'm doing. You have to give me whatever I want, or we're going to have a, a, a meltdown. And, and his bank, uh, Goldman Sachs, was right at the center of it, playing both ends of it, playing the bear and the bull market and everything else. By the way, you mentioned my book, Pornography of Power. Uh -huh. And that's really what I've been writing about for most of my life. I mean, I have a quote that Joan Didion uses from me, and where I say in my journalistic method, I, I want to know who's getting screwed and who's doing the screwing in any story. And, and my you know view is whether it's about the military budget or it's about this business stuff that uh, you can't assume there are adults watching the store even in the sense of watching for their own uh, ruling class interests uh, let alone for the taxpayer or the consumer's interests they, they, they don't even care about their own institutions look at Lehman Brothers goes down the toilet after what 153 years or something so these people are really out of control and uh, but they're not embarrassed by it they pocket their huge uh, huge obscene amounts of money. They distorted the whole American economy beyond belief. They, uh, you know, it's interesting. I have a debate about this actually in my most recent column because some people have been saying this is financial socialism. That's what the Republicans are. No, are, it's are not. Concerned. I agree it's, with your take it, uh, it's, uh, on this. You know, it's financial fascism. There is a model for it. It's what Mussolini and Hitler did. I mean, uh, very clearly it was an alliance between the autocratic government and, and the big uh, corporations and banks. Well, the last-minute uh, nature of this is really suspicious as well. I mean, it, it's like we're being told they found yellow cake uranium at, at Morgan Stanley, who where CNN is now reporting that Morgan Stanley is acquiring WAMU, Washington yeah. Mutual. And this is, I think, the first time where this is really starting to come down to you know, Main Street. I know, but I want to tell you, I listen to these people because that's what I've been doing for the last few hours here in what I thought was Santa Cruz now turns out to be Capitola. But, you know, I'm sitting in, you know, in the car listening to NPR and CNN and everything, and I don't have my reading glasses. But this is a column that I wrote in the L.A. Times, a paper I got fired from because uh, I got the Iraq War uh, right and I got the economy right. But I wrote this in, uh, this was published in, um, let's see the note here, uh, June 25th, 202. Two oh two. Okay, Please so that's just read a couple of. Uh, you have a better voice. Sure. And if I could figure this out in two oh two, and I had been writing about this since the the, the trying to pass that ninety nine act, just read how, how that article. And I didn't change a word. That's how it appeared in the L.A. Times. Has the war on terrorism become the modern equivalent of the Roman circus, drawing the people's attention away from the failures of those who rule them? Corporate America is a shambles because deregulation, the mantra of our president and his party, has proved to be a license to steal. Yet to question our leader's stewardship of the economy has been made to seem unpatriotic. Although combating terrorism is of compelling importance and should have been before September 11th, one is likely to be branded enough for daring to suggest that the administration might be using current security threats as a smokescreen to obscure our floundering economy. This is pretty amazing, and it is quite Keep prescient. Going. Keep going. Yet after the miserable performance of the stock market these past five weeks, the forced resignations and indictments of corporate titans, not to mention the conviction of a top accounting firm, the humbling of the dollar, and the rise in the trade gap, isn't it time to ask whether the war on ter terrorism isn't being milked as a convenient distraction 
Remember, we had Enron. We had all of these Worldcom. We had all of these scandals. Keep reading. <laughs> no, I mean, it makes an important point when sure. they say they didn't know and they don't know. They knew. And what you know what it is? It's like any other Ponzi scheme. They thought it w wouldn't break before they got out. That's what's happened. They knew you couldn't keep expanding in this way. They knew it was funny money. They knew they were conning people. You know, anybody knew that. If you went into a bank and they said, here, I have a cappuccino. Let me help you capture the equity in your home. Uh, let me buy, help you buy a place you, 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 you can't afford. Uh, don't worry about the equity. You know, we'll, we'll get an appraiser out there who will find the equity. You know, uh, don't worry about the loan terms. We'll get you a monthly rate with, uh, you know, low introductory interest. Uh, that will go. They, they knew this. And they were only allowed to do it because of that legislation. So keep just reading another paragraph or two. When even Martha Stewart is ethically suspect and her company stock has plummeted, though not quite to the depths of Enron, Global Crossing, Tyco, Dynergy, Walmart, and Rite Aid, let's add Fannie Mae and <laughs> Freddie well, Mac. This was 202. <laughs> yes. It is time to return to the wisdom of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the Depression-era president who saved capitalism from itself. Wealthy from birth, FDR had a healthy awareness of the tendency of the upper classes to destabilize society and even destroy themselves with their greed and hubris. Unlike Karl Marx, however, he believed the unraveling of capitalism was not inevitable if these excesses could be somehow corralled. Thus was born the idea of government regulation as a vital support structure for a, the powerful, fertile, but unstable free market. And this is, we're seeing the consequences of this right now. I keep reading. Unfortunately, the greedy people and institutions don't like being monitored, and they have the means to corrupt government and skirt laws. Since the so-called Reagan revolution, powerful corporate interests have succeeded in profoundly damaging the foundation of a properly regulated economy. Company auditors, for example, have become accomplices of deceptions of the public that should be considered criminal, but often do not violate the statutes written by corporate lobbyists. And this is what you were talking to with uh, both the Graham laws. Enron provides a startling illustration of a company jumping through loopholes that its DC lobbyists have created. In fact, the Enron scams made possible by the deregulation in the first Bush administration are still being revealed, such as the last week's reports that the company hid billions in income during the California energy crisis while publicly denying it was profiting excessively. This always reminded me of the old Twilight Zone episode, yeah. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, where they turn out the lights, and then everybody goes, accuses the person, one person whose lights are on, you're the bad person. So they essentially, just by turning out the lights, they repopulate and the government. And by the way, the Enron was made possible finally by the Commodity Futures Modernization Act. That's the 2000 thing that I was referring to. But just read the end of it because... To be fair, the corporate corruption of our political system has long been bipartisan. The Clinton White House, for example, sponsored major deregulation acts, including the Financial Services Modernization Act. That's which also the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. The, also known as the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, which reversed consumer protections enacted under Roosevelt and the telecommunications Communications Act of 1996, which effectively ended all public accountability for the communications industry and has permitted a few media giants to gobble up vast markets. Clearly, the problem is bipartisan when a Democrat-controlled Senate moves so hesitantly to confront the myriad examples of sickness in our economy and our corporate culture. The politicians hesitate to act because candidates of both parties are lavishly financed by the very people who are conning the public. That's Robert Shear in 2002. Yes. <laughs> yes. Six years ago. So don't tell me they didn't see it coming and they didn't know what was going on. I was there, you know, I was covering that for the LA Times 
and I was in Congress. You know, people like Ed Markey knew, but even Shelby, the conservative Republican from Alabama, knew it. I mean, people were grumbling even then, but the bankers came swooning in, and people like Reuben and Larry Summers, who replaced Reuben, who was his deputy, they were pushing it for it very heavily, very heavily. And, and the Clinton administration really bears a serious responsibility for this now. Of course, Phil Graham, who McCain regarded as his economic guru, and, and McCain faithfully uh, backed uh, Graham and everything, and Graham was the guy he thought should be president of the United States back in 96. And, and his financial advisor up until he opened oh, his he mouth. Co <laughs> coach, co-chair of yeah. the McCain campaign until he talked about the whiners out there. But even Rubin in January... Robert Rubin, you know, the wonderful, liberal, decent, blah, blah, blah guy who made, made hundreds of millions of dollars from these shenanigans, uh, he was speaking at Cooper Union in January, and he said, this isn't a big crisis. This is just a normal fluctuation of the business cycle. This was January of this year. And then a few months later, in March, Barack Obama, to his credit, you know, uh, gave a brilliant speech at Cooper Union outlining the whole thing and making the very same points that I made in the column you just read. What I'm worried about is that Barack Obama, once he got the nomination, started listening to Rubin, who had been a Hillary uh, Clinton advisor, and started listening to these Wall Street moguls more than he was when he was an independent, you know, guy uh, uh, during the primaries. Well, I have to say, to, to my mind, uh, a lot of the problems that uh, that arose during as a part of the Clinton administration were really, I think, to blame of the Republican lock on Congress and also their ability to manipulate public opinion through the media. And there are masters of it, and they continue to be to this day. How else could they have one of the Keating Five, which you point out, as as the as their presidential nominee. I know, I know. We are, look, I'm very much for Barack Obama, so you know, I, I share your passion here and. and I'm frightened of uh, McCain Palin, particularly Palin. Oh my God! If, you know, did I'm, you see I her interview? Be, yeah, I happen to be the same age as, as McCain, so you know, I know how important the pick of the vice president is. If you pick some reasonable, moderate Republican, it'd be a, a, a very different situation, you know. But there's a very good chance she's going to be president, and it's frightening. But I want to disagree with what you said before. Was that all right today? Sure. Yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. Uh, the Keating Five. Four of the five were Democrats. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. And and uh, when it comes to financing these political parties, unfortunately, they're both in the pocket of, of Wall Street. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, yes, uh, Graham uh, <coughs> McCain didn't, and certainly Graham didn't learn the lessons of the Keating Five, which, after all, is what we, what we now have writ large. Was, sure, uh, yeah. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I don't want to let Clinton off the hook. I'll just give you one example. I know Ed Markey, who's a congressman I have enormous respect for, a liberal guy from, from Massachusetts. And, and Ed Markey was fighting to get only one thing in that financial service, privacy protection. Privacy protection. You're Which we have here in California, actually. They, they have to ask you. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, but, but no. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to revisit the whole privacy issue. Uh, it, it, it's a question of opt-in or opt-out. Right. You know, and, and what we wanted was opt-in, you know. So, uh, but, uh, you know, you have to make a conscious decision and say, yes, I want you to give my records out and share them and within your company and everything else. And Markey wanted that to be in the federal bill, and he asked Clinton to veto threatened to veto the bill if that wasn't in there. And he had Republican support. Shelby was with him on that one, the Senator Shelby. Really? Yeah, and Clinton turned them down. You know, and, and, and it's not true. I mean, Rubin and Summers campaigned very hard for, for that legislation. It wasn't just Phil Graham. Mm. And, and had Clinton wanted to go to the American public and say, look, what's going on here? You know, why do we want to let these people merge? What, why is that in the interest of the average consumer? Why will that be good? That's what he should have done. 
and and it's a little late in the day now to to walk up, wake up and say hey, you know uh, we have too many banks and they expanded too rapidly and and they're opaque and we don't know what's going on and they were what is AIG for instance AIG four fifths of that company where they were doing their old stuff selling insurance and what have you fine they were solvent, the other part got into this they were packaging and and buying insuring these security you know, packages and so forth that didn't make any sense. Nobody knew what they were. Nobody knew whether the value was there. And this is what the credit swaps were all about. This was what the deregulation allowed. And then they were not under any regulation. Mm -hmm. So they were saying to all these banks all over the world, hey, this stuff is okay because we'll back it up. And then they couldn't back it up because it's all garbage and they didn't even know what was in there. And now to get the federal government to, get to throw $85 billion their way, you know, I mean, it's absolutely outrageous. If you walked into that bank, right, mm -hmm. and this is where, for me, my money, it's the deal breaker, is whether we're going to put a freeze on foreclosures, which is what Hillary Clinton called for during the primary. Why not? That would be the best way to have, have dealt with this thing. You mm -hmm. know, no foreclosures for a year. We have got a mess here. Don't leave it on the individual homeowner. We've always made exemptions for home ownership. That's why it's the one interest you can deduct. Is your home ownership, you know, mm -hmm. uh, interest? Yeah, I can't deduct it on, on anything else. And we always believe, you know, it's part of the American dream. It's part of the stability of our society, home ownership, and everything. And suddenly we've forgotten all that. And so we're saying, no, you missed that third payment. Boom, you're out. You're tough, tough, you know, tough luck, you know. And and, and uh, a very sensible way of shoring up the housing market would be saying no foreclosures for a year. That, instead of leaving it to the banks to voluntarily renegotiate with people, that would force them to. Mm -hmm. They say, okay, let's see what we can work out with you. Let's see if we can give you a different rate. Let's see if we can make it for three more years. Let's see what we can do here, help you out, you know. That would have put tremendous stability into the housing market. You know, they're not even talking about that. The Democrats are making some noises about it. That should be the deal breaker. Well, now the, the, the latest report I just heard driving in here was that um, the Democrats, it's not in the legislation yet, the Democrats want to have uh, give judges the ability to do this. And this seems kind of scary to me and also just a giant, creating a giant legal bureaucracy nightmare. Look, first of all, what no one is bringing up is that the good old Democrats, including Joe Biden, along with the Republicans, made it much harder for Americans, ordinary Americans, to declare bankruptcy. Declare bankruptcy. And to hold on to anything, you know. And, and so they, they didn't give them a break. They're giving these big banks a break. I mean, it's so outrageous if you think about it. Here we had legislation passed making it harder for, you know. Okay, so you went into that bank and they, and they said, look, you know, we know you're struggling and everything, but you got equity in your home. We're going to give you this introductory rate and a variable rate and, you, you, you know, an interest only. And uh, it'll float and there'll be no problem. That way you can send your kid to school. You can you know, buy a vacation home. You can do also, you can fix up your house or, or you can buy a house that you really don't qualify for. And then they had these freelance guys going out doing the assessing. It was not like the old days. The old days of a bank sold you a loan. They worried about what was going to happen for the next 30 years. Yeah, it was, was your, one bank yes, too. Yeah, was your income going to increase? Was, was the value there in the house? Would it increase, you know, with the loan? Were you paying back part of the, you know, uh, worth of the house, not just interest only? Uh, you know, were you paying down the loan? All of these were the considerations. They sent an appraiser out there. That appraiser was conservative in their appraisal. They didn't want to, you know, give you too big a number. The bank made sure you had the 20% to put down, not 10% or 5% or, or nothing. And, and because they thought they're going to be stuck with it for 30 years if you walk from it, you know. That's not the case then with these new instruments and the new mergers and everything. These people intended to walk from it. 
They intended to do the credit swaps. They intended to sell them elsewhere. So they didn't, they didn't care. And the people lining up these mortgages, their bonuses and everything, their rewards were, how fast can I do this? And, you know, and, and they got these freelance people to go out and do the appraisers. And they, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your income. Don't worry about this. You know, we'll work it out. And people were getting these incredible loans, you know, which have then, you know, uh, blown up in their face. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't blame the, the individual consumer. And by the way, it's not just those people that are hurt because when the housing goes to down, crashes, even people who own their homes outright, even, even people who have sensible loans, but the equity has disappeared in their house, you know, what sure. they're accounting on. And for most Americans, that's the ball game. I mean, that's their retirement. That's how they send kids to school. That's what they pass on to their kids. And by the way, we're only at the beginning of this thing because there's other credit out there. You know, I, I teach in a college, and, you know, I know what they how they give these kids these credit cards. I, I get, like, two offers a day right, for my right. sons who— One percent interest, and, you know— Yeah, and yeah. $10,000. My yeah. If my son saw those things, I mean, Jesus, I'd be in hawk for a hundred grand by yeah, now. Yeah, and, and, you know, and then the interest rate, because we don't—we used to have in California Constitution a limit on the interest payment, but that was preempted by federal law. And, and now there's no difference between these people giving you the loans and, and what used to be called loan sharks. I mean, the loan sharks would bust your knees or something, but there's no cap on the interest. And, and these people talk about their, their spiritual values, their commitment to God, religion. If there's one thing that, that the, the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim religions are in very clear agreement on, usury. Usury, mm -hmm. okay? That's why Christ threw the money changers out of the temple. And, and, and the Bible is very clear on usury, both the Old and New Testament, you know, and yet it's ignored. So you got some kid in the school, and they, oh, yeah, it's only 1%, 2% interest, and then suddenly it's 38% interest. You know, and you're in hock for, for the rest of your life, and, and there's no limit on how high the interest rate can go. That, that's criminal. It should be criminal. It's not because they write the laws. And no one wants to say that. You see these idiots on, on, on these talking head shows and everything. Does anybody talk about lobbying? Who writes these laws? I was there during these markups. It's the same thing with the Telecommunications Act. Most of the elected people and their staffs don't even follow the language. They follow their favorite lobbyists. That's how McCain got in trouble. Remember, he followed the lobbyists for the savings and loan. And most recently, he followed lobbyists, you know, who, who were attractive and, and coming into his office. But, you know, the, the, these staffs don't follow it. And, and the uh, lobbyists and the and people wanting these laws, they make them as complex as you possibly can. You know, you go crazy. I spent night after night sorting out this stuff. You know, it's not written in a way you would, anybody intends for you to understand. No, it's written so that you put... put presumably cannot understand yeah. it, and so that it can be manipulated to And everybody's to making their advantage. a joke of that now. They're all saying, oh, well, who can understand this? Who knows what? They're all now referring to it as the toxic waste of this, the toxic, toxic. Well, wait a minute. Who wrote the laws to allow toxic, you know, why are they so opaque? Why can't we understand them? That's all in the law. If you, the column of mine that you had that ran in the Chronicle today, you just read it. Read that law. By the way, I hate to make, make you do my work, but I don't have my glasses here. Uh, here, do you have the quotes from the Commodity Modernization Act at the bottom, what it says? Let's see here. Um, no provision of the Commodity Exchange Act shall apply to and the Commodities Future Trading Commission shall not exercise regulatory authority with respect to an identified banking product which has not been commonly offered, entered into, or provided in the United States by any bank on or before December 5th, 2000. I, I guess the upshot of that is is that anything crazy thing they invented after the year 2000 cannot be regulated. Right. Exactly. exactly. And that's And insane. what was the word they used in Title Three? 
See where I say that was Title IV you just quoted. Do you see Title III there? Oh, yes, Title III. Uh, legal certainty for swap uh, agreements. Okay. <laughs> so what they had is because they allowed these banks to merge and do those, they, they, you, know, you go into the bank, you make a loan, then they're going to swap it out to someone. They're going to put it together as a securities bundle. They're going to sell it to other people. God knows who. So they're, they're off the hook. They don't have to collect on it. And legal certainty, why should it have legal certainty? Why should that be allowed in the first place? And so what this w said was, there will be no regulation of your shenanigans. So you can feel confident that you are not going to go to jail and no one's going to stop you from swapping these things, the credit swaps, the whole deal. And that's at the heart of the whole meltdown, the and, heart of it. Well, and it's in the text. It's in, it's in the legislation. Well, now what we're debating is how much we're going to uh, limit the thieves who have done this to, to collect when they walk away. Well, first of all, if you don't talk about criminal... Because, you know, after all, we've used conspiracy statutes against, uh, you know, gangsters. Sure, RICO, the RICO crime. Act. Yeah, yeah it's uh, fairly and, handy. And in that so way. if you, all you really have to do is show that these people had knowledge that this stuff was going to blow up and they were involved in shaping the law. I mean, we've got to have really major, major investigations of all this. How This did not happen. This, you know, it's insulting to the notion of a deity to keep acting as if this is sort of a, an act of God. It isn't an act of God. This is an act of men who were paid a lot, a lot of lawyers, a lot of lobbyists, a lot of hustlers, and they designed it, you know, and they designed it in a way that the elected officials couldn't even understand it. That's really what's involved here, you know, and, and, and don't let them get off the hook. So, Robert, uh, tell us a little bit about what you think is going to happen um, as a result of all this, well, especially you know, in the election. It's like, the, first of all, it's like the run-up to the Iraq war. You know, they panic you, you know, Saddam Hussein has got ties to bin Laden, which he, they knew he did. They knew he did it. Yeah, he's 40 minutes away from delivering yeah. a new and, and the they United knew it. States. Now, we, we now know uh, that they, they knew that they were cooking the evidence. They were lying. Uh, you know, I wrote a book. I, I think I was in this bookstore, Capital Bookstore, uh, Five Biggest Lies. And my son, Christian sure. Shear, really wrote it. I just got my name on it, you know, because he was... He's such a good writer. I thought I would have to do a lot of work, and he did a better job than I could do. <laughs> but it was called The Five Biggest Lies Bush Told Us About Iraq. And and the only criticism I've ever heard of that book is, why just five lies? You know, I mean, there are hundreds of lies. But the main thing was they knew, and we used the word lie because that's what they were doing. They knew there was no evidence to support their assertion that, they, that time was of the essence. You had U.N. inspectors on the ground in Iraq. There was no reason to invade. There was no, you know, there wasn't going to be a mushroom cloud over Manhattan or whatever Condoleezza Rice said. So, so what they do is they panic us and destroy democracies, really, and that's what's happening now. If you don't do it our way and you don't jump, uh, the whole thing is going to crumble. Well, God damn it, if you're so smart and you know when the whole thing's going to crumble, why didn't you tell us that last year or two years ago? Why didn't you tell us that back in 2002 when Shear was telling us? You know, come on, I'm one guy, I don't even have a, I don't have a research, I don't have a secretary, I don't have anybody, you know. Uh, you know, and, and how come I could figure this out, you know? So why aren't these other people figuring it out, you know? And, and, and so now they say, no, no, we know. Well, who knows, you know, Henry Paulson? He was up to his eyeballs in this. We're going to trust this guy's assessment now when he was with Goldman Sachs, what, for decades? He was with these banks, th this hustler? And, and uh, he, he has no shame. Does, does he said a word about, oh, well, I'll give back the 16, what did you say? 16.4 16. million, million dollars. I got the year before I came into the Treasury. Now I'm this dedicated public servant. You want to tell me when you were running Goldman Sachs, you didn't know about this stuff? You, you, you sure do. There are plenty of articles in the Wall Street Journal about how Goldman Sachs was brilliant in buying on both ends of this thing and exploiting it on both ends, you know, whether it goes up or it goes down. I mean, they were brilliant at it. 
you know, uh, now, now your bank, your beloved bank is not even an investment bank anymore. It's a holding company and, you know, uh, it was going to go belly up, you know. Uh, you know, so are we trusting this guy? Why? I mean, why? It's just out outrageous that we're trusting this guy. Because what? That we don't have anybody on the uh, uh, elected side who can figure it out, who knows what's going well, on. Well, also, I'll say we have to do this least, really quickly, too. That's the well, scary part. They say we have to do yeah, it so quickly. I don't say. believe that. There's lots no. of ways of, of putting liquidity into the market. There's lots of ways of giving assurance. As I said before, foreclosure freeze would one may, way make, one be one big way of making sure those, uh, those bundled uh, mortgages are not so toxic. Because the federal government was saying, wait a minute, hold on, we're going to help guarantee those things in the long run, but let's sort it out. Let's see what's in those packages. Let's see what's the uh, responsibility. Let's see, by the way, if all banks are created equal. Some of you banks may have really done terrible things and deserve to go out of business. Some of you may have been on the right side of this and, and been prudent. Uh, let's pick and choose. Why, why are we giving a blank check to any bank that's in trouble now? That's absurd. That's, first of all, not the way capitalism is supposed to work. That's not the way the market's supposed to work. Clearly, some engaged in much more offensive behavior than others. Uh, I don't know. We know who the good guys and the bad guys are, but I, I hear that uh, even two big banks like Wells Fargo and Bank of America were less culpable. If that's true, uh, okay. We'll, we'll still have banks, and we can pump liquidity into the system. We can give assurances, but to just give a blank check and to do it through one unelected uh, person, uh, Henry Paulson, and, you know, uh, and Bonica at the Fed, and they go ahead and do it, do it, do what you will. with uh, No oversight, no, no, no uh, transparency, no, and yeah. an ability to enter into private transactions with no, yeah. I mean, it's scary stuff. Yeah. If they're writing blank checks, I want to be at the front of that line. Well, you know, I, I, think, <laughs> okay. I think rage is spreading. You asked me about the election. I think rage is spreading through the public. And uh, I, if I were advising Barack Obama, I'd say don't become part of the problem. Your hands are clean. You know, whatever stuff you did in Chicago is really penny ante. has nothing to do with this. Your opponent is up to his eyeballs in this. He was very close to Phil Graham. He supported every piece of this legislation. He has a long track record. Of deregulating, Deregulate. Yes. The mantra of the Republican Party has been deregulation, deregulation, deregulation. That's been the whole Reagan revolution. And, and uh, as Barack Obama pointed out in that March speech, he was very clear on the Financial Service Modernization Act. You know, he was very clear on where, what the, where the deregulation mania, and he should stick to that. And he, you know, I think he should say, look, we're going to have to, it has to be punitive. It has to go after CEO salaries. It has to involve very strenuous investigation of what went on. And uh, is there any criminal culpability here and, and so forth? It's got to differentiate between good players and bad players. It can't reward them all equally. And, but the main thing, it's got to protect the taxpayers and it's got to protect the homeowners. And, and, and any deal that does not involve a freeze on foreclosures is going to sacrifice uh, tens of millions of Americans, and it's outrageous. I've been speaking with Robert Shear. His new book is The Pornography of Power. Thank you for joining me, Robert. And it sure is pornographic. Uh -huh. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.